the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This truth that that Christ humbled himself and now the Father exalted him is this. Just as Christ concerns himself with humility and let the Father concern himself with exalting the Son, so we are to concentrate on humbling ourselves and leave the exalting to God. That's the point. That's it. That's the message. In other words, forget about exalting yourself. That's God's responsibility, not yours. Luke chapter 14 relates a parable of Jesus that gives a great lesson. To put it briefly, Jesus said that when you go to a party or a reception, seat yourself in the place of least honor. If you choose a place of high honor, the host may have to embarrass you by asking you to make way for someone else. But if you take a low place, then the host will honor you in front of everyone else by inviting you to a place of more honor. Paradoxically, the best way to go up almost always begins by going down. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is taking us through Philippians chapter 2 and a study of church unity. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside, and Verse by Verse is an extension of that ministry. One essential prerequisite to unity in any church is humility. Humility among the people of that church. If you have your Bible, keep your finger in Philippians chapter 2 while we turn to Luke chapter 22. We have a lot to cover today, so let's get started. Years before the well-known heavyweight boxer, Muhammad Ali ever became famous for his boxing and outrageously egotistical statements concerning himself. Our Lord's own apostles suffered from what has been called the Muhammad Ali complex. They kept arguing over who was the greatest. You remember that the boxer said, I am the greatest. And that's what they said. How do we know that? Because in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, The Bible says this, And there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. They were arguing, I'm the greatest, no, I'm the greatest, no, I ought to be at his right hand, no, I ought to be at his right hand, no, I ought to be in the center of attention and that type of thing. Now, Matthew in his gospel tells us, he adds to that, that in addition to arguing about who was the greatest, Two of them, two brothers, James and John, went and did a a really conniving thing. They got their mother to appeal to Jesus for them. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 20 as we begin this morning. And uh, they petitioned their mother, good Jewish mother who would do anything for her sons. And they said, in essence, Mom, he'll listen to you. It's hard to turn down a woman. So if you go and ask him... He'll listen to you. And what did she do? Well, let's look at Matthew 20, verse 20. 
Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, came to him, that is the Lord Jesus, with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. She asked that they would have the most exalted places in the kingdom. One on the left side of the Lord Jesus and one on the right side of the Lord Jesus. They wanted an exalted position. But what did the other apostles do? When they heard this, verse 24 tells us, and hearing this, the ten became indignant at the two brothers. Now you might think they became indignant because they realized how unspiritual this was. No, they became indignant because they were annoyed that they didn't ask first. They didn't go and get their mother to do this. These, this was a motley crew. I call them the defective dozen. Until the Spirit of God came to indwell them on the day of Pentecost, they didn't know what was going on. They kept saying they did. Jesus said, do you understand? And especially Peter, yes, we understand. We understand. They didn't know what was going on. And here, they became annoyed and incensed because they wanted those places of exaltation, because they wanted those uh, honored seats, and they just didn't think of it first as their mother to speak to Jesus on their behalf. Now, what did Jesus say? Now, he in verse 25, he gets right to the heart of the matter, but Jesus called them to himself. I mean, they're arguing, and he said, come here, come around me. He called them to himself and said, you know, you understand this, that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. In other words, pagans think like this. You know that. You've been around enough pagans to understand this. You know that. Pagans are into pushing themselves into positions of dominance over others. That's what they do. That's the pagan way of life. But he went on to say in verse 26, it is not so among you, among you disciples, among you followers of me. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What he's saying is, but my followers are to be servants like me. They're to be like me. Greatness in God's kingdom is measured in terms of serving others, not by exercising authority over others. That's exactly what Christ is saying. Now, what he's really teaching, I I can put in one phrase that I think you ought to mark down. The way up is the way down. The way up is the way down. God exalts and considers great the person who lowers himself to serve others. That is the heart of the matter. And the greatest example of this principle is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 23, verse 12, he said this, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Now that is a principle, that is an eternal principle found throughout Scripture. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the great example of this principle. And having said that, what the Apostle Paul does in Philippians chapter 2, and you need to turn there because that's where we're studying this morning and have been for a number of weeks and months now. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul takes this truth of Christ's humiliation and he presents it to the Philippians for a very specific purpose. In the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, 
He tells these people that they need to have harmony amongst themselves. They need to have unity in their church. They need to get along with one another. They need to be sure that they are not bickering amongst each other. He says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, that's the broad principle. That's the way, that's the method for achieving unity in a church. That's the way to maintain unity in a church. Don't think about yourselves as preeminent. Don't think about yourselves primarily, but consider the interests of others. The things that matter to you, make sure that the things that matter to others matter as much to you as to them. And so what he does then at that point in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, he then brings forth the Lord Jesus Christ as the great illustration And while there's a lot of theology in verses 5 through 8, the purpose of Paul is not to give a theological treatise as much as it is to present to us an illustration. If you want to know how humility operates, it operates this way. Verse 5, have this attitude or this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And here's the attitude, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being uh, made in the likeness of men and being found in, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the mind of Christ, and, and it has certain qualities we saw last week. It is a selfless mind, a selfless attitude in verse 6. Though he existed in the form of God, he is God. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is to say, he didn't think just about himself. He didn't say, look, I've got I've to dwell with all the glory of God radiating out, radiating out from me. Even though I am God, I can give this up for the sake of others. So it is selfless. It is also serving, we said in verse 7. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. He became a servant. He didn't just give up the uh, the outward display of glory, though he never gave up being God and never has. He is always God. He, he became a servant. He took on the form of a bond servant. We could say, in a sense, he gave up by taking on. It's a paradox, but that's what the scriptures teach. And then his quality of submissiveness in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Who was he obedient to? He was obedient to the Father. So if you're going to be a have the mind of Christ, it must be motivated by submission to the authority of God. And then finally, it is a sacrificial attitude or mind. His death was the death on the cross. It cost something. He sacrificed. He gave himself for us. And that's what we are to do if we have the mind of Christ in us. So what he's saying, Paul is saying is the greatest display of humility in all of the world is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, and yet he gave up being in the form of God, the outward display of God, to become a lowly servant that was spit upon and hit and beat and ridiculed and slapped and even went to the cross because he loved us, because he thought of us before he thought of his own rights and privileges. That's that's what he's saying. Now, the story doesn't end there. It doesn't stop there because as Paul speaks of the the humility of Christ going down, starting in verse 9, he then speaks of the exaltation of Christ going up. What goes down must go up. And so our passage this morning is verses 9, 10, and 11. Therefore... Also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are on who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Great, great passage. Now, I want you to understand something, and you must listen very carefully. The emphasis in verses 5 and 8 is not on what the Father has done. It is solely on what the Son of God has done, what Jesus Christ has done. He has humbled himself. That's the great emphasis. This is what he has done. When you come to verses 9, 10, and 11, the emphasis shifts. It is no longer on what Christ has done. It is now on what the Father has done in response to Christ's humiliation. He has exalted him. And I, this is what you must, you must understand. And I think many miss the point. This is great theology, these are great, uh, strong truths, but don't miss the point. It is still an ethical matter that he's dealing with. Your, your behavior is what he is at. The point of Paul in telling the Philippians and telling us, this truth that, that Christ humbled himself and now the Father exalted him is this. Just as Christ concerns himself with humility and let the Father concern himself with exalting the Son, so we are to concentrate on humbling ourselves and leave the exalting to God. That's the point. That's it. That's the message. In other words, forget about exalting yourself. That's God's responsibility, not yours. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? You are supposed to humble yourself. You are supposed to humble yourself. And if you do that, God will take care of the exalting. It could be in this life, but it may not be. It will certainly be in eternity. But it could be in this life. A position, a raise, a situation you'd like. Don't concentrate on those things. Concentrate on being a humble servant. Now, this is a principle throughout Scripture. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Your job is to humble yourself. His job is to exalt you at the proper time. James 4, 10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Luke 14.11, Jesus said, For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. In fact, James, if you go back, you don't need to turn there, but if you go back to James chapter 4, he said, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Uh, we've all met people who every, every place they turn, they've got problems. They've got problems, and, and they're always being pushed down. And you wonder, why does this person have all these things? Well, I don't know that this is always the case, but a lot of times because they're proud, and God keeps pushing them down and pushing them down, and they don't learn the lesson. And they're concerned about what others think about them and their fellow workers and the image and prestige, and they have all kinds of problems in those areas. Because if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. Pride comes before a fall, the scriptures say. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. Maybe in this life, but certainly in eternity. Now this morning, we want to look at the exaltation of Christ. A glorious theme to be sure, but we also want to see not only the theology of it, but like last week, we want to see the practical purpose of this, because that's Paul's purpose. Paul's purpose is for you and I to go back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and say, I'm not going to look on my own things only. I'm going to be interested in the things of others and not exalt myself, not exalt my rights, not exalt my uh, personage, not exalt uh, my privileges, not exalt my my way of doing things. So, we want to look 
at three ways that God the Father has exalted Christ. He has, he has given him an exalted place, an exalted name, and an exalted position. And by the way, the humiliation and the, uh, the glory or the exaltation of Christ are two themes in the New Testament. First Peter chapter one, verses 10 and 11 speaks about that. The, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that are to follow. That's what we're looking at. When we speak of the exaltation of Christ, we are referring to his resurrection, his ascension, and his coronation. So having said that, let's look, first of all, that God the Father has given the Lord Jesus Christ an exalted place. Verse 9 begins this way. Paul begins in verse 9 by saying this, Therefore, or some versions say, Wherefore, also God highly exalted him. And the word therefore or wherefore is very significant because it tells us that Christ wasn't exalted because he was God. Now that may be new to some of you. That may sound strange. Christ was not exalted because he is God, but rather he was exalted because he humbled himself. And when he humbled himself, then God the Father exalted him. The Father honored Christ because, that's why the word therefore is there, because of his total submission of humility. Now, let me explain this. If you look in John chapter 17, Turn to John chapter 17, verse 5. Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. It is the prayer just before he is arrested and then will be crucified. It is the night of his arrest. And he's praying this prayer. Verse 5, And now he says to the Father, Glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I ever had with thee before the world was. Now, Jesus existed in the form of God, and that glory of God radiated from him. And what he is saying is, Father, restore me to that glory. Restore me to the form of God. Restore my previous position. And God did answer that. God always answered the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, I want you to understand that while he had his glory restored to him, It didn't stop there. He had the glory restored to him of what he had before the incarnation, but now a greater glory was given to Christ. He was exalted beyond that which he had before. You say, well, how is that possible? Has he always been God? Absolutely. Will he always be God? Absolutely. How can, how can, if he's always been God, how can he have a more exalted glory now and a more exalted place? Let me explain. As you go through your Old Testament, you see that men worshipped God the Father. God the Father is center in the Old Testament. Now the Son is certainly there, and the Spirit is certainly there. But while the Son is there, and, and we see glimpses of Him, He is there primarily in the background. You see Him in shadows, you see Him in types. But it is God the Father who is in the forefront. God the Father who receives the recognition, primarily. But after the resurrection, that changed. After the resurrection, when Jesus returned to heaven, it's as if God the Father stood back, took a step back and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. 
Listen to him. It is as if God the Father stepped back and put the Lord Jesus Christ in the center of the universe and in the center of men and women's recognition and the recognition of angels. Jesus then has become the center of heaven and the center of the universe. He is the focal point right now, not God the Father. And that's different from Old Testament times. He is number one by virtue of what he has done in humbling himself. That's why Colossians 1.16 says that in all things he might have the preeminence. I hope you understand that. It simply means that in this day and age from now on, he is the one that people focus on, not God the Father. That's why when you come to the New Testament, you'll read such things like this. He that honors the Son honors the Father. No one today could say, well, I just believe in God the Father. I don't believe in God the Son. No, no, it can't be. If you reject the Son, you reject the Father. Jesus Christ is now in an exalted place and position like he, like he never has had before in terms of being the center of the universe and the center of the church and the center of God's people. I believe that's what Paul is talking about. I believe that Jesus Christ now is the focal point. He is exalted. And that's why Paul says, Therefore, also God highly exalted him. Now, this word exalted or highly exalted is significant. It's the only time this Greek word appears in the New Testament. And it means he super exalted him. He, he just exalted him higher than anybody. Which is to say that he is exalted to the highest place. Now, when a believer dies... If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, when you die, your body may go into the earth, but your soul and your spirit goes into heaven to be with the Lord. But not Christ. Not Christ. It's different for Christ. God exalts you and exalts me and promotes us to heaven, but the Lord Jesus Christ has gotten a greater promotion. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. Now, you're going to have to think with this. This is, this is not um, a simple thing that we're talking about, but you'll see how important it really is. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, for those of you who may not know, Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, the writer says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed, what? Through the heavens. Not just to heaven, but through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, the Bible speaks of three heavens. We get this from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says, speaks of three heavens. The first heaven we would call the atmosphere. The second heaven we would call outer space. And the third heaven is the abode of, of God. The abode of God. Now, believers go to the abode of God, but Jesus Christ is promoted far greater than any believer. Why? Because when the Lord Jesus rose again and then ascended 40 days later, he didn't just stop in heaven. He didn't just arrive. He went to the, to the abode of God, the third heaven, and you know what God the Father said? Sit down at my right hand. I have a place for you. A place of exaltation. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. 
And he is the radiance of his glory, speaking of the Son, and the exact representation of his nature, and uphold all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, that is to say, when he died, when he finished the humiliation, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where is Jesus Christ today? He's in an exalted place. He is at the right hand of the majesty on high. When he arrived in heaven, God the Father said, Come to the throne room. I have a throne prepared for you, an exalted place, a place of highest honor and authority and rulership and recognition. In fact, he's recognized that way. And in this day and age, the focus is on the son, not the father. We don't want to neglect the father. We don't. We certainly don't want to neglect the spirit of God. But the spirit of God's ministry is to exalt Jesus. The focus is on the son. Thank you for listening today. It was great to have you here for Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve's years of teaching at Lakeside have given rise to these daily Bible classes of the air produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. If you want to listen again to today's class or a previous one, or if you just want to know more about this ministry, please visit us online. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the start of a three-part message in this extensive series of lessons about church unity. If you would like to hear the entire message at once, you can order your own copy on CD. Just give us a call at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a song called There's Just Something About That Name. One part of it says, Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. On the next Verse by Verse, we will continue to consider just what it is about that name. I hope you can join us. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.